Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Uh, You know, we uh, just kind of kicked off a series last week called 40 Days of Prayer. This is kind of our Lenten study to kind of prepare ourselves, uh, as you've heard, to prepare for Easter. And last week we had a guest speaker, a guy named Dr. Ron Walborn. Uh, Ron is actually one of my mentors. I've known him for about 20 years, and so it was great having him here ministering with us on a Sunday morning. How many of you guys were at the Spiritual Gifts seminar they did on Saturday? Yeah, we had a great time kind of learning our spiritual gifts and growing in that way. By the way, that's going to be up on our website this week. So if you're like, man, that was so good. I'd love to share it or rewatch it. We're going to have the opportunity to do that. We'll have that up on our website. You can check that out soon enough. But, uh, you know, one of the things that was really kind of great about that time was, you know, uh, it was a great message about being filled with the Holy Spirit, starting in the Old Testament all the way into the New. I encourage you if, you, if you weren't here last week, to go ahead. You can go on our website or on our podcast and listen to it. It's a great kind of encouraging message message to kind of help kind of get us ready, get us primed for 40 days of prayer. Now, over the next five weeks, uh, we are actually going to kind of be marinating in the Lord's Prayer, uh, kind of what you just heard before. Uh, by the way, how many of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer like every week? Yeah, a couple of us have. Like, I grew up Methodist, and so if you grew up Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Hufflepuff, whatever it may be, That's Harry Potter, never mind. Maybe you didn't do that. But like, you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer, and maybe you even have it memorized. And and the Lord's Prayer is found in two areas of Scripture. It's found in Matthew 6, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is like Jesus' greatest sermon. And then also in Luke chapter 11. And so during this series, we're going to review, and we're actually going to say the Lord's Prayer together over the next five weeks, just to kind of get us primed, get us kind of back in the sense of what the Lord's Prayer is. So why don't we go ahead and throw this on the screen, and let's go ahead and say this together. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever Amen. Now, you know, this is kind of a well-known passage of Scripture. I think lots of people know this, whether you grew up in church or not. You've probably heard the Lord's Prayer or seen it somewhere in popular entertainment, things like that. But, you know, whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes, five years, or five decades, there is something in this prayer. There's something here that God has for us during this time. And if there's one thing in my life that I have struggled with, that has frustrated me more than anything else, I'm just being really real with you, it's prayer. Prayer. I mean, it is probably one of the most challenging things. And so, like you, I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you want to teach me about prayer? I got a lot to learn. Uh, You know, it kind of reminds me of this story a friend of mine just told me. So I have a friend out in New Jersey, and he his family are dyed-in-the-wool New York Giants fans, okay? Like, it's generational, right? It's, it's like, you know, the, you know it's like he, he's a Giants fan, his father's a Giants fan, his father's father's a Giants fan, his father's father's father is probably a Giants fan. I don't know if the Giants were around back then, but big Giants fans. But my friend's son, you know, is an Eagles fan. 
So, you know, my friend is like, I don't know what I did wrong, Nathan. And now some of you are like, I don't know what he did right, you know. But, you know, so, so he's got this, you know, he's like eight years old. He's this big Eagles fan, really passionate. And, and, you know, he's been an Eagles fan for a long, long time. And you guys know the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. So, you know, this little boy, he's so stoked. He's excited. He's like, yeah, my team's in the Super Bowl. And then you all know what happened. Some of you are still, still recovering. Wow, there's some, I'm bringing up some old wounds here. So, you know, my, my friend's little boy, though, you know, when, when they lost, you know, he was, like, devastated. Like, not just sad, devastated. Like, tears screaming through a tantrum, the snots coming out. Like, you know, he literally got himself sick. He's hyperventilating all over this. And so, you know, they were kind of prepared for this because he's a very passionate, you know, sports fan already at the age of eight. I mean, he's an Eagles fan, right? So he, 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 he all this emotion. And, and so as my friend is telling me that he goes, you know, you know what, I, I kind of expected, Nathan, that if the Eagles lost, like, this would happen. But here's what I didn't expect. I didn't expect that he was going to have a crisis of faith. Crisis of faith? Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, when I finally got him to calm down, uh, he said to me, Dad, I don't understand. I prayed to God that the Eagles would win. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Is he even real? Can he hear me? And at eight years old, he's asking these deep, profound theological questions that were incited from a football game that many of us also ask in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's not because the Eagles lost, but I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we all struggle with prayer. I know very few Christians that tell me, you know what, Nathan, the problem with my spiritual life right now is I pray too much. Like, that's a huge problem. Very few of us ever say that. But I think all of us can admit, man, I wish I prayed more. I wish I could really get more into prayer. But for some of us, prayer, it's kind of dry. It's kind of boring. It's kind of very ritualistic. And it's more of a duty than a delight. Like, we have to do it because we know we're supposed to, but, but, but we don't really understand why. And then, like my friend's son, I think many of us are confronted with the reality, what about unanswered prayer? Not about your football team or your baseball team, but, but what about unanswered prayer when it really counts? The loss of a loved one. You, you were praying for that loved one that they would get better, but it seems like they get worse and worse. Or you're praying for a job situation and that it, that it would change or that you'd find another job, and it seems like nothing is changing. In fact, things are getting worse and worse and worse, or it's a financial situation. You're just saying, God, I need your help, but I feel like when I pray, my prayers go up and they bounce back down. It feels like no one is listening and no one is struggling. And maybe some of you, because of your struggle with prayer, you've actually walked away from faith completely. You're like, I don't know if I can believe in a God that, that doesn't answer my prayers or it doesn't feel like he answers or it doesn't feel like he's there. And I think for all of us, we've all struggled with prayer in that sense. But to encourage you, we're not the only ones that have struggled with this. You know who else has struggled with prayer? Jesus' disciples. These 12 apprentices of Jesus that kind of hung out with him, that wanted to get to know more about God and, and eventually become like him, they also struggled with prayer. In fact, that's why Luke, one of Jesus' biographers, records this in chapter 11, where the disciples see Jesus praying and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
Now, these are, you know, Jewish boys who grew up praying. They grew up going to synagogue. They grew up going to temple. They, un- they understood the, the mechanics of it. They understood the theology of it. But for some reason, they felt like they missed the heart of it. So they go to Jesus and go, Jesus, can you teach us? Jesus, can you show us? Can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus takes them through a master class of how to pray. And it's a master class not just for his disciples, but they're also for us. So over the next five weeks... We are going to marinate in the Lord's prayer pattern, this pattern that he gives us and how to pray. And each of these clauses that we're going to look at, what we find is they're almost like a hyperlink. You guys know what a hyperlink is? It's like when you click on something on a website, it takes you to a bigger uh, page where there's more information or there's a bigger photo or there's some action steps, whatever it may be. But it's a hyperlink to something bigger that God wants us to capture in our lives today. And so I want to look at that first clause today in the Lord's prayer pattern, which is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, before we click on this hyperlink to see where it takes us, let's kind of see what it's setting us up for. First off, our address is to God is our Father. Our Father means that there is an intimacy in a relationship. There's a status that's been set up, that that we are the child and God is our Father, a parent-child relationship. Now, I want to acknowledge something, that if you don't have a great relationship with your dad, or if your dad is never in a picture, this can be really challenging to picture God as a loving Father. But yet, this is the image that God comes to us as. He, he, He says, I want to be your daddy. I want to be the one that's going to take care of you, that wants to engulf you into my arms and bless you and accept you and approve you. That's what it means when God sets up this relational status that I am your father. I love you. You're my child, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And then it goes into hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word that we often use on a, on a regular basis, right? Like, we, we don't go around using the word hallowed. Maybe we use Halloween, which is kind of, again, the root word of, of ha- or Halloween, the root word of that is hallowed. But it's not something that we use on a regular basis, but really what it means is to be made holy. Essentially saying, God, uh, your name is holy. And, and holy, I know it's kind of a churchy word, but it means, God, you're, you're not really like anything else out there. You're more beautiful, you're more magnificent. You're more marvelous. You're, 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 you're just so much greater than anything I could ever imagine, anything I could ever encounter in this world. The sunset, as beautiful as it is, it is not as beautiful as you, God. Hallowed be your name. Maybe another way to put that is, is we can kind of describe this as worship. As worship. Worship, you know, you kind of use an everyday definition of worship. It's this. It's, it's orienting our entire lives around someone or something. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to constantly orient our lives, build our lives around who God is. To see his beauty and his majesty and his greatness and his glory as something bigger than anything else, more magnificent, so that we essentially realign our lives around this idea as worship. And so that's one of the things that prayer does. We need to see prayer as worship. Because when we pray, especially we pray that phrase, our Father, what we're doing is we're realigning our entire reality around the fact that He is our Heavenly Father. He is a good God, even when the world is not good. I can trust Him. I can rely on Him. I can look to Him because He is with me. So when we pray this prayer, it's worship. And that's the first kind of clause. It's this hyperlink that worship or prayer is as worship. So let's click on this hyperlink and see where it takes us. One of the places it would take us to that we're going to camp out in a bit is in Jeremiah chapter 32. 
So if you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you're, if you're taking notes in our, uh, in our prayer guide here, you can kind of, I think it's on page, what page is it? Someone shout out the page number. Six. Awesome. I can't get there. Okay, here we go. Here you go, page six. So you guys can kind of take notes here. But we're going to start in Jeremiah 32 here. Let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. If you've never heard of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is considered to be a prophet. Now, a prophet would simply get a word from God, and then they would share that word with other people. Now, Jeremiah is living in a time where, from a political standpoint, it is very, very turbulent, okay? There's literally, you know, the nation of Israel is kind of at the brink of war with a nation called Babylon. Babylon is actually coming in, and they're about to conquer Israel. And so as this is about to happen, you would think that Jeremiah, he's getting a word from God. What what kind of word is Jeremiah going to get? Is he going to get a word of encouragement to encourage God's people? Is he going to get a word of judgment against this nation? Like, what is God going to tell Jeremiah to do? Well, here's what God tells Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah, I want you to go buy some real estate. That seems like an odd thing to be doing during a time of war. But that's what God tells Jeremiah. He goes, I want you to go and buy a field, okay? Buy a field, and I want you to pay top dollar for it. Like, you know, he, he found this house. It's got a pool. It's got a patio, all these things. And Jeremiah's paying about $300,000 for this piece of land that within days will be conquered and taken over by another nation. Doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, this is not the best real estate market to go into. But yet, this is what God is calling Jeremiah to do. Guys, can I just say something real quick? Oftentimes, we look at some of the things that God tells us and it goes, God, this doesn't make any sense. God, I'm reading your word. This doesn't make any sense at all. But God is asking us to obey him in the moment because later on it will be a milestone. There's some things that God is calling us to obey right now that we don't understand, but he's going to explain later or it's going to make sense much, much later. And we're going to see that in a moment here. So let's go ahead and walk through this passage starting at verse 17. It says this, O sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So so this phrase, strong hand and powerful arm, I want you to hold on to that. It's going to come back again. But this word sovereign, it's not really another, again, it's another word we don't really use, but sovereign is another way of saying almighty ruler. God is the sovereign of the universe. He is the ultimate unquestioned ruler of the entire cosmos. And even though we live in a world where God's ways aren't always followed, in fact, God's ways are even opposed, he is still in charge. He is still the ruler. He is still the one that is in control. His plans and his purposes always come about. That's what it means that God is sovereign. He works through human frailty. He works through human brokenness to bring about the purposes that he has for us. So that's the first thing Jeremiah prays. He goes, God, you are sovereign. you got a strong and powerful hand. He goes on and prays this. He says, you show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me pause for a second here. Because Jeremiah right now, he is using his prayer as a time to worship God, to kind of talk about how big God is. But then he also talks about just some of God's ways. God, you show unfailing love to all the generations that come about, but yet your love is not a permissive love. You allow the consequences of one generation to go to the next. Now maybe you read that and go, that, that doesn't seem kind of, that doesn't seem fair. Like why would God allow that to happen? Well, part of this is just the natural consequences of living in a sinful world. Maybe you've noticed this, that if you see a family where you know the parents are abusive, oftentimes, unless there's intervention, those kids will grow up and also be abusive. 
Same thing with alcohol, right? If someone grows up in an alcoholic home, unless there's an intervention, unless they're like, I'm not going to do what the family before me did, alcohol could also be abused and gets passed on to the next generation. There's habits and patterns that your kids are seeing you, and they will imitate, because sometimes more is caught than taught, that they'll bring into the next generation unless there is an intervention, unless we are aware of those things. And so that's what Jeremiah is essentially praying. He's like, God, I, I know that you, you, you are good, you are loving, and I know sometimes things don't always work out the way they are, but, but yet, God, you are great and you're powerful. You still are in control, even in the midst of human brokenness and human frailty. And he continues to pray. He prays, you have all wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. You see the conduct of all people and you give them what they deserve. Again, God, you are wise. You know all the things. You see all the things. Like, God, I sometimes see people's behavior and I get judgy. But God, you see what's beneath the behavior. You see the heart. You see the mind. You see the struggles. You see the addictions. And you judge rightly. And you know how to, how to love people and give them what they deserve in the midst of difficult things. Now, now then, Jeremiah, as he prays, he gets historical. He says this, he says, You performed miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, things still remembered to this day. And you have continued to do great miracles in Israel. And all around the world, you have made your name famous to this day. See, as Jeremiah is worshiping, he's also remembering how God has come through in the past. Because he's in a tough situation now. Because, God, I remember how you came through when we were struggling. We were slaves and you rescued us. When we were in the desert, you walked us through the desert. You brought us to the promised land. You created us into this great nation. God, I remember what you did. You did miracles then and you do them today. How many of you guys believe that our God is a miracle-making God? Amen? He still makes miracles today. He is still at work in the lives of his people. It says in verse 21, Jeremiah keeps praying. He says, you brought Israel out of Egypt with a mighty signs and wonders, with a strong and powerful arm. There it is again. Whenever you read in Scripture and you see something repeat, you want to take note of it. Circle it, underline it. An overwhelming terror. You gave the people of Israel this land that you had promised their ancestors long before, a land flowing with Chick-fil-A and Shake Shack. Maybe my version says that. I don't know. But essentially, again, Jeremiah's like, God, I look at all the things that you've done, all the good, even in the midst of disaster, even in the midst of pain and suffering, you are still good. You still provide. Look how you provided for us. But here's a way that Jeremiah prays that not all of us tend to pray in these next verses. Jeremiah also kind of owns some of the sins of the people. He says this, our ancestors came and conquered and lived in it, but they refused to obey you or follow your word. They have not done anything you commanded. That is why you have sent this terrible disaster upon them. I think this is interesting. Usually, like, when we pray, we kind of say, God, here's what I need, or hey, God, you're good. But here, Jeremiah is like, God, I also know we miss it. We've messed up. We've rebelled. We've walked away from your path. He's confessing as worship to God his own brokenness, his own people's frailty, but even saying, and this is why we are getting the consequences that we have. Because as Jeremiah is praying this prayer, he looks out his window, and here's what he sees. He says, see how the siege ramps have been built against the city walls? Through war, famine, and disease. The, the disease, the city wall will be handed over to the Babylonians who will conquer it. Everything has happened 
just as you said. You see, when God rescued his people out of Egypt, he said, hey, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you or a promise. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. If you walk in the ways I've laid out for you, if you do what I've asked you to do, if you move in the direction I've called you to go, things will go well with your life. But if you step out of line, if you step away from that order that I created everything to go into, chaos is going to follow you. Sin is going to follow you, and it's going to devastate you. And that's what's about to happen. The people are about to experience a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And so as Jeremiah is praying this prayer, he's worshiping God in his prayer, he actually has a point that he needs to talk to God about. And this is, he finally gets to the point. He says this, And yet, O sovereign Lord, you have told me to buy the field? Paying good money for it before these witnesses? Even though the city will soon be handed over to the Babylonians. Like Jeremiah is like, okay, God, we got all this stuff going on here, and you want me to go buy property? You want me to go and buy a condo in Boca Raton, but you know, Boca Raton's about to get conquered? Like, what are you talking about, God? This doesn't make any sense. Like, I still worship you. I still raise my hands, and, and I think you're amazing, and you're powerful, but all that. But, but, but why? What are you doing in the midst of this, guys? God, see, God's creating a moment that will one day become a milestone for his people. Jeremiah doesn't know it yet, but we're going to see how it happens. But first, something we need to be aware of here that Jeremiah does well, and that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is that Jeremiah is living in a tension that we need to live in. And that's this, is that God is both sovereign and accessible. He is sovereign and he's accessible. This is really a really kind of interesting thing about the character of God. If you look at many world religions, God is either so transcendent and so out there that there's no way you can get to him, or, you know, it kind of collapses into God's being in the world, or is the world, or is you. But in Christianity, God is sovereign. He is bigger. He is, he is bigger than we could ever imagine, but he's also close. He's accessible, and he's approachable. Maybe a great example of this is, um, it's actually someone shared this with me, is an example about one of our presidents, John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, JFK, you know, he was the 35th president of the United States of America. And when he was president, he is the most powerful man in the world, right? Like, there is no one more powerful than the United States of America. And so when JFK was president, no one could approach him, right? He, He, in a sense, was a sovereign. He is a sovereign, you know, he's on the phone, he's, he's making deals, he's, you know, you know he's, he's, he, he's making these decisions that are impacting the entire world, and you can't just walk in and go see him. You've got to get a background check, you've got to go through security, you've got to even see if it's worth your time, if, he, if you meeting with him is worth your time. He is not someone that you can actually have access to. The only person that could have 100% access to John F. Kennedy was his kids. It was John Jr. under the desk. And I think this is the picture of what it means that God is both sovereign and accessible. Yes, he is the ruler of heaven and earth. Yes, he is the one that will judge all nations and all people. But when you are a follower of Jesus, you are his child. You have all access to God. There is nothing that he withholds from you. There there is nothing that he, he he wants you to come to him and approach him. And to know that you're loved and that you're accepted and that you're part of his family. Jeremiah is living in that tension. When we talk about prayer as worship, it's that tension that, yes, God is sovereign. He's bigger than we could ever imagine, but he's also accessible. He wants you to come to him, approach him, to find hope and healing and peace and direction for your life. 
But how do we do that? How do we live in that tension of God's sovereignty and his accessibility that we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How do we live in that tension? Jeremiah shows us three things that I want to look at. The first is this. If we want to live in that tension, we need to reflect on God's greatness. Now, remember I told you, you know, remember that phrase, put in your back pocket, the strong hand and powerful arm of God? This is a phrase that if you actually do a study, you can actually see this all throughout the Old Testament, the arm of God, the outstretched arm of God, the hand of God. It never says arms of God. It never says hands of God. And I think it's because whenever you read outstretched arm, it means power. It means authority. It means that there's nothing stronger or more powerful than the hand of God. In fact, the reason why it's only one hand is because literally God can handle the entire universe with one hand, the other one tied behind his back. That's how powerful he is. That's how awesome he is. And so Jeremiah, in his prayer, he spends time talking about the greatness of God. God, you are all wise. You are all powerful. God, you are the sovereign of the universe. You literally have orchestrated all of the created order a certain way. And here's the thing. The more you and I spend time marinating on the greatness of God, the bigness of God, the transcendence of God, you know what happens? We start to see our lives right side up. Sometimes we get so caught up in the circumstances and the situations and the dramas of our lives, it kind of takes over and crowds out God. And you know what happens when that happens? When we crowd out God, anxiety comes in, worry comes in, fear comes in. All those kind of things start to kind of take over. But when you and I are marinating on the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, how good he is and how great and how big he is, you know what happens? When we worship more, we worry less. When we worship more, we're, we're, we're fixing our thoughts on who God is and his power and his glory and his beauty and, and, all, and how marvelously he is that we're, so, that we're not so much caught up in the little dramas in our own lives when we do that. So reflect on God's greatness. But not only do we reflect on God's greatness, number two says this, we need to remember God's goodness. We've got to remember his goodness so that we can stay in that tension I got to be honest, you know, when, when I struggle with unanswered prayer, or I feel like God is moving kind of slow, like, God, your timing, you know, I'm from New Jersey, God, let's go, my timing's fast. I'm a little bit like, God, where are you in this? Like, have you abandoned me? But here's the thing, I have a personal history with God. I can go back in my life and see how God has met me again and again and again and again. And Jeremiah does too. That's why Jeremiah says this in verse 21. He says, You brought Israel out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders, and with a strong hand and powerful arm. You gave the people, you gave the people of Israel this land that you had promised their ancestors long before, a land flowing with milk and honey. God, I know that Babylon is right at at our doorstep. I know that they're going to come in and they're going to destroy everything. But I remember, God, that you saved us out of Egypt. I remember how you came through for us before, and you're going to do it again. Amen? And that's the thing. We need to go back and remember how God met us in the past, and remember he's going to do it again. Amen? Because our God is faithful when we are faithless. I know that for me, I have that personal history with God, and so when I struggle with unanswered prayer, I've got to go back and remember how God came through. I got to go back and remember how God met me in some of those difficult places of my life. I remember when I had graduated college and I wanted to go on a mission trip, but I had to raise $5,000, whereas a 21-year-old, I had never, I, I had never seen $5,000, and I'm like, that's a lot of money. How am I going to raise this? 
But I prayed, and, and, I, and I did the work, and I trusted God, and eventually, he, he met me. And I was not only able to raise 5000 but even more than that to go on my mission trip. I remember when I was trying to figure out, okay, am I going to finish graduate school? Like, I don't have enough money to finish. Well, what, do, what do I do next? And I remember, you know, God to trust me. And in, the mo- in that moment, I said, all right, I'm going to trust God. And as I did that, my mom said, hey, I want you to finish graduate school, so I'm going to pay your way. I remember when I finished graduate school, I'm like, all right, God, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to find a job. It's 2008. The, 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 the economy is like in the toilet. Like, what's going to happen? And as I was kind of praying about what to do next, I got a phone call from a pastor in New Jersey and said, hey, I've got a job for you as a youth pastor if you're interested. And I remember when my wife and I were having a hard time conceiving our second child. We weren't sure what to do, and we were praying, and we're like, God, maybe this is what you've called us to do, and maybe we, we need to adopt, or whatever it is. But I remember how for us, what God did was he gave us the opportunity to have our second child. God answers that prayer differently for everybody, but for us, that's how he answered that prayer. And I remember thinking, God, you were faithful. You came through each and every time. And so God, even if when I pray, sometimes your answer is no, I'm still going to believe that you're good. I'm still going to believe that you, you, your intentions for me and my family are good, even when I don't understand. What does your personal history with God look like? How do you remember God coming through for you in the past? And maybe you're like, well, Nathan, I just started following Jesus. I don't have that personal history yet. But you know what? I have good news. You have the scripture. You can go to the Bible. You can read the book of Acts and see how God came through for his people in the church when it first started. You can go back and read in the Old Testament how God came through for his people and rescued them out of Egypt, how he rescued them in the book of Judges. You can go back to scripture and read how God has come through for his people over and over and over again. We can reflect on God's goodness when we live in that tension. And finally, I want to look at the third one, which is this is to rest in God's guidance. To rest in God's guidance. Now, I think most of us, when we, when we pray, we kind of start out, when, especially when we're looking for guidance. Like, God, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Jeremiah literally waits till the end of his prayer to finally ask the, tell God that I'm kind of confused. He says this in verse 25, O sovereign Lord, remember, the ruler of all things, you have told me to buy the field, paying good money for it before these witnesses, even though the city will soon be handed over to the Babylonians. He's like, God, the market's hot right now. This is the worst time to buy a house, especially, you know, because an invading army's going to come and take it over. I mean, this would be like literally living on the border of Ukraine and Russia and buying like a resort or buying like a nice house, knowing that in a couple of hours, an invading army's going to come and it's going to be taken, it's going to be gone. And so Jeremiah is confused. He doesn't understand why is God leading him in this direction? Why is God telling him to do this? And, and here's the thing. I think oftentimes in our prayers, and this is what I'm learning, the reason why we don't get our answers that we want in the moment, or maybe it's slow, is because of this. Before God can give us what we want, he gives us what he needs. And we need to remember that God's denial or God's delay is not his denial. Sometimes before we can have that breakthrough, God's got to break something in us. Before God can bring your spouse to you, he wants to make you a person of integrity who's got character, who's someone that's worth being married to. 
Before God could give you the new job, or maybe you're struggling trying to find a job, God wants to teach you to trust him, that all that you have comes from him. It's not from your employer, it's not from anyone else, it's from him. And when you understand that all you have comes from God, then he's going to bring in that next step. Or maybe before he gives you leadership, he's got to crush your arrogance. Before he gives you care of a group of people, he needs to give you a heart of empathy and compassion and love. And he needs to do that, and it takes time. Jeremiah did not know why he was supposed to buy a field. But to Jeremiah's credit, he went and did it. He went and he bought a field. And years passed, and literally Babylon came in, and they destroyed everything, and they ravaged everything. And God did ask, Jeremiah did ask, God, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point? This seems like a waste. But here's what God says. He says, yes, fields will once again be bought and sold, Deeds signed and sealed and witnessed. For someday I will restore prosperity to them. I, the Lord, have spoken. What's this mean? Jeremiah, right now you're seeing destruction all around you. You're seeing pain and brokenness and human frailty, but I want you to know something. I am not done working on my people. I am not done. I am working in the brokenness. I am working through the ruins. I am building something fresh and something new. So one day, you'll be able to buy and sell things again. That deed you have for that land, it's going to be good again. I'm one day going to restore all the broken places and all the broken things. Maybe some of you are here today and you're feeling the brokenness, the shattered, the frailty, whatever it may be. God's word to you is he will restore you. He will renew you. He will make the the broken places whole again. See, your obedience today will bring breakthrough tomorrow. The moment when you say yes to God now will be a milestone that you will remember about how God has come through and how he continues to come through for his people. When we pray that prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a statement of worship. And when we pray that prayer It's realigning and reminding ourselves that God is still our Father and He is a good Father. Amen? That He is with us, at work in us, transforming us from the inside out. That He's going to take the broken places, the shattered places, and He's going to make them new. He's going to restore the the things that were taken, the things that were lost, as part of what He does. I pray, God, for a fresh filling of Your Holy Spirit. Would you meet us here? I know for some of us, it was a battle to get into this room today. It was a battle to watch online today. But we're here. We come with open hands and open hearts. Maybe some of us are here and we're feeling like our prayers are just bouncing up to the ceiling and bouncing back. I pray, Lord, You'd help us continually look up to persevere in prayer. Even if we aren't seeing what we want to happen yet, God, your delay is not a denial. We, we need to receive that. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you do the work that you want to do in us so that we can be the people you've called us to be when we leave this place? In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. 
If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.